Welcome to Questions from the Closet. I'm Charlie Bird. And I'm Ben Shalati. Each episode, we discuss a question that we commonly get asked as LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. We are not trying to answer this question or come to a consensus, but simply sharing our perspectives. Today's question is, how can I be an ally while supporting church teachings? Ben and I are not terribly diverse, and we share many opinions and life experiences. For example, we both wrote books that are published by the same publishing company. However, there are some differences. For example, Charlie was asked to write a book, and I had to beg to do it. <laughs> they did just reach out to you, didn't they? Yeah. Uh-huh. I always feel awkward when you do this. <laughs> he puts me on the spot. Yeah, after I wrote my coming out article, Desiree Book asked me to write the book. Well, I, I wrote them a book proposal in the summer of 2019, and they wrote me back and said, we're very busy. We might not have time to look at this for a couple of months. And I was like, I guess that's a no. Then, they were looking at mine. <laughs> and, then three, and then three months later, they were like, we'd love to see your manuscript. I was like, I didn't write anything, so then I had to write it. Yeah, well, you did a great job. Ben's book is really good. Yeah, it'll be coming out in January 2021. This is the first official teaser, so get ready. <laughs> We would like to provide a variety of voices and perspectives on our show, so today we're joined by Allie Isom. Hi guys, it's great to be with you. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about yourself, Allie. So I'm a woman of faith. I'm a Latter-day Saint who lives in Keysville, Utah. I grew up in three different states, moved a lot growing up, and I find myself now as the mother of four, a grandmother of one. I am the chief uh, strategy and marketing officer for a local tech company. My previous employment includes time with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and global branding and identity work, as well as uh, public affairs. And before that, I was the Deputy Chief of Staff and Communications Director for Governor Herbert in Utah and worked in public policy for 20 years. So different professional background than, than some, but I find God has had a hand in every role I've ever had leading up to the next one. Yeah. Awesome. I'm so thrilled to be with you all today. Well, Allie, we're, we're thrilled to have you here. We're happy to have an Allie to talk about being an ally. <laughs> waka, waka, waka. <laughs> uh, so this is a question we get asked a lot from members of the church who, who want to be allies but don't know how or, or maybe worried that if they are supportive of the LGBTQ community, that might go against church teachings or, or maybe just, just look bad. Mm-hmm. Um, could you help us understand like maybe why some straight members are hesitant or reticent to, to step into the space of, of actively being an ally? I think there are a lot of misconceptions about what a person who identifies as LGBTQ experiences. There are a lot of assumptions about it. I think sometimes people think it just means sexual preference and they don't understand there's more dimensionality to that identity than that. And because of that, I think people jump to conclusions and think that if you identify that way, it must somehow violate some church teaching or some principle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is a journey, I think, for most allies to start to understand that. And it usually starts, I think, for a lot of people when there's a face to it, when there's a person that they understand and they know and they have curiosity and they're trying to understand that issue. Somehow that breaks down a lot of barriers. But before they understand it or start to have a person's face on the issue, I think there's just reticence of, am I sanctioning sin And, you know, that comes from complete ignorance and misunderstanding, but somehow they feel like they've, they've sanctioned that, you know, triggering word lifestyle and made a bunch of assumptions about what that means for a person. Yeah. So a lot of the hesitation comes from not necessarily understanding the community and the people. Yeah. And I think also if they do know somebody who's LGBTQ, sometimes the hesitation is I don't want to hurt them because I know them and I know them not to be what I misunderstand this identity to be. And so how do I reconcile that? And then how do I have a conversation with, with them 
without using triggering words or saying something that reflects a high level of ignorance? How do I show them that I understand or at least I'm trying to understand? I think that's a fantastic point. I've talked to a lot of people who are, they're very worried about saying the wrong thing or trying to be an ally, but doing it the wrong way. Or even like they're, they're afraid to speak up and say things because they're not sure how that's going to reflect on them or the person that they're trying to be an ally for. Yes. And you're going to mess up and it's better to say something, right? And, and as you associate with different people, LGBTQ people, you'll be able to learn more and grow. And we're kind of all on a journey, like a process together. And if you're too afraid to start the process, then you'll never have the opportunity to grow. Absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of like language learning. I've been a language teacher for a long time. And, you know, when you learn a language, you make a fool of yourself a ton of times and say a lot of the wrong things. But that's part of the learning process. And when we talk about new issues to us, we might say the wrong thing, but people will be gracious and kind and forgiving. Yes, absolutely. And when I was at church headquarters, one of the projects I'm most proud of was working on the relaunch of the website Mormon and Gay, which has a different moniker now, but at the time it was uh, it was reformatting the old Mormons and gays. And our first objective was to help people understand it's not us versus them. You can be both Mormon and gay, and you can say the word gay out loud. But one of the main points that we felt needed to be said and and needs to be understood better is people mean different things when they use the word gay. Mm-hmm. They're, and and the best thing to do is to ask them, tell me what you mean by that. What does that what does that feel like to you? Help me understand more. And I think if you want to be a good ally, you ask a lot of questions. You, you try to make as few assumptions as possible and you try to understand because even among LGBTQ people, like there's a variety of opinions and, and experiences and understanding. And some people are comfortable identifying as gay and others will say I'm same sex attracted and they're perfectly comfortable with that. But that might feel like an offensive title to somebody else. Yeah. So I think the starting point is to say, what do you mean? Tell me more. Yeah. You know, Ali, as you've been talking, I've been thinking about my friend Diana in Tucson, and she, to me, is like the quintessential ally. When I came out to her, she had no idea that I was gay. She wasn't expecting it. She was not prepared to have the conversation. Okay. And I, I wanted to share some of my life with her, and, and she just didn't seem ready. And so over the next few weeks, I was like, hey, you have any questions about me being gay? And she didn't. And then a few weeks after I came out to her, we drove up to the Mesa Temple, which is like a two-hour drive from Tucson, just the two of us, and she had some questions. And so we talked about my experiences the whole way up. Then we, we got out of the temple. She said she was thinking about me the whole time. And then on the way home, we kept having that conversation. Then after that, she was all in. She was all in to, to be an ally and, and to be supportive. And, and when I started a support group in Tucson for LGBTQ members of the church, I knew that she would want to be involved as an ally. So I didn't even ask her. I just assumed that she would be involved. And then uh, we had meetings at her house all the time. And she often joked that there were always men at her house, single men, but they were all gay. <laughs> and then when I left Tucson, she ran the group for a while. That's fantastic. And she told me once that at the beginning of the school year, she was in a singles ward. And you know they asked everyone in Relief Society to stand up and say something interesting about you. And she stood up and said, I'm Diana and I'm an LGBTQ ally. Wow. And I, I was just really proud to see her evolution from being uncomfortable with having the conversation to saying, you know, I'll be here for anyone who needs me to be here. Your exchange with her underscores to me the importance of reciprocity in creating safe space mm-hmm. that you can't just be the ally creating safe space like those who identify as lgbtq plus they need to also create that safe space for allies to understand understanding that it's a journey and everyone's in a different place and their understanding is some are just barely getting their head around it but others have been doing it a long time and understand some nuances about how certain symbols or words are loaded for some people yeah definitely as a quick example of that Ali, you mentioned the switch from 
Mormons and gays to Mormon and gay. Mm -hmm. And I was on my mission. I was serving as a missionary when this happened. I hadn't really told anybody about who I am or, or what I was experiencing. But on, on P days, we were allowed to like go to church approved websites. I'd heard about this. And so I was like, Oh, I hope my companion doesn't <laughs> see me. And, and I went to it and I spent the, the entire time that I usually emailed my family looking at this and reading these stories. And I just remember feeling, I don't, I felt a little bit more seen, I guess, because it, of this inclusive language, um, Mormon and gay. And it made me feel less like I was being split and more like there were other people like me. Granted, this is a while ago and I still had a long way to come. But that one little just, I guess, you knowing and, and recognizing that difference in the semantics and the language had a huge impact on me and was kind of like a turning point or like a like a foundation where I was able to build my own faith and understand more about my own orientation. Mm-hmm. That's Thank beautiful. You. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that. And I hope I hope many had that kind of experience. I really believe a tool of the adversary is to create a wedge is to create us versus them and and divide us as a people, as a Zion people, but also us internally, mm-hmm. right? To make us feel like we're split between identities instead of we're actually the divine creature God intended for us to be and we're a whole person and we can see the beauty in others as well. Mm-hmm. I love that. True to church culture fashion, I was looking at like dictionary definitions of ally just to like make <laughs> sure I had it right. And a lot of things were associated with helping one another and to unite or to form a connection mm-hmm. um, between two parties. Honestly, that made me think of ministering and the, mm-hmm. this whole push that we have to, to minister, to to be pastors, to be Christ-like and reach out to people, even though we may see perceived differences. To me, that's kind of like changing the word ally of being less of like maybe a politically charged term or, you know, kind of like a foreign thing to being like reaching out to other children of God and being Christ-like and bringing them into your life and letting them teach you and just, just seeing and being seen, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, that reminds me of the scripture where when Jesus was visiting the Americas, he said, I've commanded none of you to go away. But I've commanded all of you to come unto me. Absolutely. And, you know, that includes, I mean, everyone. In that sense, being an ally is supporting church teachings because it's being Christ-like. It absolutely is. And I think it comes down to the first and second great commandments. If I love God, I love his children. And I will do all I can to include the children of both of my heavenly parents. I will recognize them for who they are, who they're becoming, who God sees them as becoming their true eternal self. And and I love them unconditionally for who they are. And I think so often we're inclined to feel like we have to assess the status of others before we get too close you know we're raised to our parents teach us to choose good friends choose wisely and and so we we start to worry somehow that someone might have an adverse impact on us and I have to tell you from my own experiences those who are in my world that are LGBTQ plus when I'm around them I can tell you it's sacred ground when they've shared their stories of their journeys for some, this is the crucible that drives them to their knees where they find their God and they discover God's love. And for others, this is the way God loves them. This is the, they feel God's love through this identity, through these experiences It has shaped them in very profound ways. And it's so beautiful when you just let down the guard and stop judging or assessing or analyzing and just open your heart and your mind to what can be shared. You start to see through God's eyes a little bit and you start to realize I can, I'm actually so blessed. I'm so very blessed by these 
experiences and stories that otherwise would not be my own. And Mm -hmm. I feel so honored when I'm let into that experience in some way. So Ali, what you're saying is some people might be hesitant to talk to LGBTQ members because they're worried about the impact they might have on, on us. But what you're saying is the impact is positive. It's sacred. It's beautiful. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I had an opportunity one time to meet with a group of trans individuals and their loved ones. And at the time, I have to tell you, I had zero experience. And I was a little bit of a nervous wreck because I was so afraid of saying the wrong thing, mm-hmm. of, of hurting them unintentionally in any way because I felt the need to share God's love. And as I listened to their stories, I just felt all these assumptions melting away. And I started to, I really did feel like there was a divine presence in the room as I came to understand them better. And I still couldn't, I, you know, I, I would probably still struggle to understand or express everything about that experience, but I'm trying. And it's, you know, like I said, it's always a journey, but I do feel the Savior's hand in helping us all learn more about one another. And, and to be honest, I think that's, that's the essence of that second great commandment is to become one, to start to understand one another better. That's, that's a covenant commitment we make to not divide, but to what practice what I call a radical acceptance and radical inclusion, because I think that's who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. He's radically inclusive. The only thing he excluded from his teachings was exclusivity, right? Come mm-hmm. and, and follow me. You know, what you're saying reminds me of the story of Jesus with the woman at the well, who was mm-hmm. a Samaritan and historically disenfranchised from the Jewish people. And she said, you know, you can't talk to me because you're a Jewish man. And I don't remember the exact words he says, but he's like, no, I'm going to talk to you. And then she ends up going and, and preaching of him. Mm-hmm. And there's this beautiful moment in that show, that The Chosen. I don't know if you've seen it. It's fiction based on, on the Gospels. And there's this moment where the woman says, well, you, you can't talk to me because you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. And he said, I came to Samaria to see you. Yes. And what does she see in him? She sees he's the Messiah, mm-hmm. right? So she's othered in some way, but she recognizes the divinity in him. Yeah. I think it's a beautiful metaphor in so many ways. Mm-hmm. A couple months ago, I kind of got into an argument with my little brother and I was talking about like in, in general terms, things that people experience in church that I wish would change to like be involved at a ward setting. My little brother, Sam, was kind of giving me a pushback, and he's like, I, I don't think you can say that. Like, no one feels like that. I've never felt like that. I always feel super comfortable when I go to church. We were kind of arguing this, and then after a couple of minutes, I was like, Sam, I, I don't remember a time when I haven't felt like this. And I understand that, that you don't, but, but we're different. Like, there's something inherently different about me that gives me a different experience when I'm around my church community. And, and my religious worship is always coupled with or compounded by feeling like this. Mm-hmm. And he was thinking for a little bit and he said, well, well, when you're a bishop, you can make sure that doesn't happen in your ward. And I said, Sam, I'll, I'll never be a bishop. Like, I, I, I'm gay. I'm not going to be a bishop, right? And he sat for a minute and he said, well, when I'm a bishop, I'm going to make sure that nobody else feels like that in my ward. Hmm. Then he said, tell me a little bit more about what that feels like and, and how that manifests. And we had a really beautiful conversation. To me, that was the most beautiful manifestation of being an ally because he took an experience, like he took my lived experience and believed it, even though he'd never had that before. Mm-hmm. 
and was willing to say, I'm going to make changes in my life and I'm going to be aware to make sure that this doesn't perpetuate and affect anybody else in a negative way like it's done to you. Yeah, and your conversation with him pivoted his paradigm, I think, because suddenly he felt responsibility and stewardship for that experience. And I do think that's part of being an ally is saying their experience is going to be different than mine, but I'm going to try to make sure their experience is exactly what Christ intended it to be. And as aligned as it can be. And and I actually think that's the whole point of the church. It's not the outcomes. It's the process of us learning to work together and work through things. So I think that's a beautiful example of the conversation you had of trying to get to a place of understanding. We we need to do more of that. And, and we'll be a better Zion as a result. Yeah. There's just a story I, I want to share. Where when I was uh, working at, at LDS Family Services, I would talk with bishops a lot, and and there was a bishop who would send a number of ward members to meet with me, and so we, we became friends. And and he had a, a, a trans woman uh, in his ward, and he had asked me some questions about what to do, and I basically said, you know, th- this is something for for you guys to figure out, seek inspiration and revelation, figure out how to how to include this this ward member in, in your ward family. And so this trans woman had decided to transition to, to female and didn't own any dresses. And so the the Relief Society president got a couple of this other sisters together and took this ward member shopping and like taught her how to put on makeup and, wow. and dress the way that she wanted to dress so that when she came to church, she would feel as comfortable there as possible. And the bishop was telling me the story and I just felt so much... I could just like feel the love that they had for this for this person that they want her to feel like she belonged there the way mm-hmm. that she wanted to be, and you know they said you know we don't know all the answers but we want her to to come and feel as comfortable as possible, and I think to me that that was being an ally just just saying you know we want you to to feel comfortable and we're going to make you the most comfortable you can be. It reflects so much empathy, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. I don't know if this is a term, but if not, I'm going to coin it. And <laughs> I'm thinking about like minority exhaustion. And occasionally I'll be in in settings where I am the only LGBTQ person and I'm always looked to to kind of like educate and speak on behalf of all gay people. That's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure and and it's something that I don't always want to do. You know, like I'm very I'm very happy to do it in in settings where I'm like prepared, but but occasionally it gets thrust upon me or it's almost like every time something like a misconception is shared or something that people like, oh, we're not sure about that is, is voiced. They're like. Charlie, you debunk this myth. (laughs) And it kind of like messes with my ability to like actually worship and connect with Christ because I always have to be like housekeeping all the the time and keeping everybody like in line. And I've noticed a couple of times when that's happened, when I have friends who who are allies and have taken the time to really get to know me and my story and in a diverse range of, of people's experiences, they can kind of speak up and take that burden off of me. So for me, like being an ally is a way to fulfill our baptismal covenant to bear one another's burdens, because in my life, that's one of my burdens. And it's something that affects, it it affects me, you know, it it makes me feel exhausted sometimes and, and unable to connect with, with like the sacrament even like, because I'm constantly thinking about how I have to like debunk myths. I'm just really grateful to those people who have been able to raise their hand and speak up or kind of take some of that weight off of me so that I can feel more part of the group. Mm-hmm. That's so. validating. Yeah, is that something that you've had the opportunity to do? Uh, I was going to call you ally. <laughs> <laughs> ally. That's okay. That's, I uh, I you know, just to, to stand up for for LGBTQ people. I've had lots of opportunities uh, in my role at LDS Church headquarters to do that. I remain uncomfortable because it's not my lived experience, so I try to be 
very intentional about the word choices and the uh, accounts that I share. And uh, but but yes, I have felt a responsibility to help others overcome assumptions that they make or misunderstandings that they might have. I mean, to your point, Charlie, like I get it. You know, there are so many times I'm the only woman in the room, right? And I don't speak for all women, and I certainly haven't had the same experience all women have had. But it does alter my experiences in in worshiping or in community when I feel that responsibility. And there's a lot of studies about where we have to reach a threshold of a certain number of people who have understanding within a group to start to impact the outcomes of that communal experience. And so it, it only helps us when we get more people in the room creating more understanding and speaking up for and on behalf of each other. So you know, I would never want to presume that I could accurately reflect either of your lived experiences any more than you would want to reflect my childbirth experience, right? Mm-hmm. But, but at the same time, when we share that, there's something that happens, I think. And, and so often we think of faith as transactional, but I really don't think it's like I give you A and you give back B and we've swapped something. I actually think I share A, you share B, and we are enlarged. And what we both walk away with is something even, um, it's less tangible than some algebraic equation, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's more like we're enlarged and we recognize divine in each other. You know, this is something as a mother, as a grandmother, I, I wish that I would have maybe done a better job or, or I hope I did an adequate job of instilling in my own children that they have a sense of, the divine within them, that God's seeds of infinity are within each person. You have the power to become something that would blow your mind, you, your limited mortal mind. And there's so much we don't understand. And could we just stop assessing one another by these patterns and prescriptions and start just seeing, like really seeing each other for who God wants us to be and who we are meant to be? because we're all in a process of becoming. I have to share with you, I had this experience, um, I'll be really frank about it. My, my husband had a brain injury from a, a bike accident and it altered him for a bit. And I had to grieve the fact that I was now married to somebody a little bit different. Hmm. And I had this powerful dream and I'm not a dreamer person. I'm not a, I don't remember my dreams. I mean, I remember parts of them, but they're never symbolic or meaningful. I mean, but this dream is, was profound. And in this dream, I encountered my husband after the resurrection. He was magnificent, enlarged, regal even. And I felt so much like really deep, profound love for him, unlike what I've experienced on this earth. And I awakened thinking, I need to see who he's meant to be who he's intended to be eternally. And if we could see that within everyone and we could feel that sense of deep abiding love, unconditional love for everybody, how much different would this planet be? And I, I start, that's my prayer to God, like help me see this magnificent child of yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a beautiful story, Ali. Thank you for sharing. And and just this invitation to, to take time to see everyone the way that they are intended to be the way mm-hmm. that God sees us. Mm-hmm. I compiled a few quotes from church leaders about being an ally. And if it's okay, I'd like to share some of them. And Russell Ballard, he said, we need to listen to and understand what our LGBT brothers and sisters are feeling and experiencing. 
Certainly we must do better than we've done in the past, so that all members feel they have a spiritual home where their brothers and sisters love them, and where they have a place to worship and serve the Lord. And another by Elder Quentin L. Cook, he said, As a church, nobody should be more loving and compassionate towards LGBTQ people. Let us be at the forefront in terms of expressing love, compassion, and outreach. Let's not have families exclude or be disrespectful. And they're beautiful quotes. Yeah, they're, they're beautiful and, and they're necessary and they're needed. And I love the way it reflects this original question of how can I be an ally while supporting church teachings? These are church teachings to, to reach out, to be Christ-like. To, to be an ally is to be like Christ. Absolutely. I have to ask you because I think Elder Ballard's address was at BYU. Yeah. Right. Were you a student there when he gave that? Yeah, talk? I was a student. I was in the audience. And it's funny because this was in like a Q&A format. And every time there was ever a, a church Q&A, that was my question. I, I was very <laughs> religious <laughs> about about submitting what guidance do you have? What can you give me as mm-hmm. a gay member of the church? You're just looking for anything. I was looking for anything. And I'd been doing that for like a couple years actually and nothing had ever come to fruition so I was kind of expecting nothing to be said about it and I'm sitting there I'm with my friends it was his third question he, he voiced this he, he's like this is the question I got and I immediately sat up and I'm not sure if it was exactly the question that I submitted but me or someone like me had been submitting this and and they saw that and caught it and addressed it to let's say there were probably like 20,000 people in the room mm-hmm. I just remember feeling for the first time I wasn't swimming against this current. For the first time it wasn't me fighting, fighting, fighting to be able to go to church and and stay in this culture that I love but that was so painful and so isolating to me. And it kind of opened up a bigger space for me and then it also led to increased conversations with family members and friends and colleagues and peers. His one act of allyship by recognizing that that someone's different and struggling and maybe doesn't have a place and and then speaking to that in a way that gives other people permission to be an ally mm-hmm. was was really powerful for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Charlie. I think those key messages of I see you, I hear you, I love you. Those those are the core of building community and you have to be seen first and I think in that experience, Charlie, you felt seen by a church official and validated, right? And the way he worded that said, I hear you. I hear that you've got this question and this yearning, but I do love you as well, right? It wasn't, it, it was very much an embrace and we can do better that way. I think there's a, there's so much potential. I think we are doing better. I, mean, I don't know what your lived experiences have been since coming out, but I hope, you know, I hope you're feeling more seen and more embraced and I don't think the adversary is going to let down, you know, I, I'm not saying it's going to be coasting from here, but I do think like that's the first critical step to finding that sense of community is mutual understanding. And yeah. so I'm, I'm so grateful for your voices in this arena because I know so many others are wanting to feel seen and heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Allie. And, you know, Charlie and I, one of the things we want to do is, you know, help elevate other voices so that, so that lots of people are talking and sharing stories because, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you said, when we, when we can feel seen and we can hear each other's stories, like that's how we build Zion. Occasionally people talk to us and, and they'll say that there are things they're uncomfortable doing. Um, they're worried that they might lose their temple recommend if they support uh, certain events or if they support gay marriage. What would you say to someone who is, is wondering if they should go to a, a loved one's wedding if they were marrying a same-sex partner? Well, we... 
the ISIMS recently had this opportunity and experience. I felt perfectly comfortable going. I don't see it as a violation of anything. In fact, I see it as an extension of Christ's love. Like, what would the Savior do? And God will be where his children are gathered. Mm -hmm. He will be there. Jesus called himself the light of the world. He called us the light of the world as well. Mm -hmm. And I feel a responsibility, a stewardship, if you will, to be in those sacred spaces wherever they are on this planet to join with God's children. And if this couple sees this as a divine union, I am, I am a hundred percent with them because I want God in that relationship. And I want to see the peace that comes with them feeling loved and supported and encouraged. I don't have all the answers and I don't have, I I mean, I've, I think as I've aged, it's, it's more, I'm much more comfortable with ambiguity than ever before in my life. And I trust, and I think that's what faith is, is just trusting a loving God to help us all find our way home. Mm -hmm. I'm going to trust that if I'm doing my part to show love, he'll figure things out. Ali, what you're saying reminds me of something my my dad said, and I've shared this quote before, but um, when my my older brother was dating someone that we didn't like and we thought they were going to get engaged, and my sister asked my dad what we should do if they came home and announced they were engaged, and my dad said, we will cheer for them and we will be happy because they're going to do what they want to do whether we like it or not. It's so true. But we get to choose how much we stay in their lives. And so we can choose to support people in the things that make them happy and joyous. And they're going to do it whether we're there or not. And we we can be there and support them and love them. You're right. And the decision is made, right? By the time you get the invitation, (laughs) the decision is made. Um, it's it's such a great reminder that showing empathy and support is not a compromise of moral values. It's actually just one of the most Christ-like things we can do to stand up and be there for people we love. I absolutely believe that. Yeah, I, I know this is a very different situation, but like when I went to leave on my mission, most of my relatives aren't members of the church and they might even think that some of my beliefs are abhorrent and not in line with their beliefs, but they still loved me and supported me and were happy that I was going on a mission. Came to my farewell and sent me letters and were there with me the whole journey, even though if they could have planned my life for me, they would have planned it much differently. But they kept that open, right? And that I think that's the biggest part is how do we ensure that we continue to be part of each other's lives? And, you know, I have gay friends who have married. I have gay friends who have divorced. And I'm here for them no matter what their life circumstances because mm-hmm. my job is to love. My job is just period, to love. That's it. People have asked me before if I, w- if I would go to a gay wedding. And I say, well, the Book of Mormon doesn't say anything about same-sex marriages, but it does say a lot about costly apparel, how costly apparel can be a sim- symptom of pride and lead to the downfall of a civilization. And I jokingly say, if I were going to choose whether or not to go to a wedding, it wouldn't be about the gender of the couples, but about how much the wedding dress costs. <laughs> because the, the Book of Mormon warns us much more about costly so, apparel than it does so about true. gay marriage. And about pride. Yeah. I think that there's something that I want to add, if that's okay, that um, what does Christianity look like and what does covenant Christianity look like? And there's no single way to be a Christian. Like not anyone has an identical mortal experience to our own. Mm -hmm. No one. None of us is following the same script in any way at all. And true Christianity allows everyone space to navigate that journey, whatever that looks like. In my life, when I have people who might make decisions I wouldn't necessarily think are ideal, I'm reminded by the Spirit often, they're just at this point on their journey, and it's not over. It's not over. And we are eternal beings. We believe in a 
gospel of progression. And we also believe in a gospel of restoration. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that restoration is remembering who we are eternally and recognizing God never gives up on us. And he's always working with us wherever we are in our journey. And we're all fallen in some way. Like none of us is perfect, right? We're all figuring this out. So the point isn't, are you figuring it out better than I am? The point is, are we figuring it out the best we can together? And are we safe space for each other, no matter our identity, no matter our mortal experience? I think we have a responsibility to be there for each other, no matter what our choices are. That's covenant Christianity. Yeah, I think one of the ways that we can sometimes put up a barrier or, or a wedge is to kind of be like preachy or judgy and say, you know, almost lecture people who we feel like are are maybe not living the path that we think they should live or the path that we want to live. I really don't think I've ever needed that, someone to, to preach to me or lecture me. But what I have needed is an increased measure of love and support. Mm-hmm. And so so going forward, that's kind of been one of my mantras is to try not to do that to other people and say, you know what, you're doing this, but uh, I think you should be doing this instead. Instead, just say, how can I show up for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, a that, question. That's just like that Elder Ballard quote from that same devotion I gave at BYU, talking about people who have stepped away from the church. You know, how do, how do we love them and support them? He said, please don't preach to them. Your family member or friend already knows the church's teachings. They don't need another lecture. What they need, what we all need, is love and understanding, not judging share your positive experiences of living the gospel. I've done a lot of personal study on what does the conversion process look like? Um, because that was a quarter, one of my responsibilities, the church headquarters. And scripturally, there's a really important pattern that it, King Benjamin with his people, when he's teaching them, what happens very first for them? They're not getting baptized right out of the gate. They listen to him and they feel God's love and they are changed by that experience. They are transformed and then they decide to make covenant. And so often we jump to some checkbox, right? That somebody should be complying with instead of saying, look, the first step is they need to feel God's love. They need to know God's love. They need to know how beautiful his plan is and that they're not forgotten ever, no matter how dark life gets. And if people feel God's love, they will find their way. I'm confident of that. It's my fear is, when those I love forget to turn to God and fall away from that light. And my prayer for them is I pray that they crave light in their lives because when they crave that light, they will find God's love without fail and they will find their way. He has not given up on them. That reminds me of how we talk about the first principles and ordinances of the gospel. And the first one is faith. And I think there's a reason it's first because faith in Jesus Christ has to come before we do anything else. And if we're trying to you know, skip or judge people for not being on level three like we think we are mm-hmm. when when they, you know, if... And faith is trust, right? Trusting that God's got this. Faith is trust. I also want to want to highlight something that, that you were getting at and that you want people to always have faith in Christ and to have a connection with God no matter what their life looks like. And I think there's this misconception that like if someone is in a same-sex relationship or in a gay marriage that they somehow lose out on the ability to connect with God and now their life is just this dark space. Absolutely. And yeah, right. from from knowing friends and just really wonderful people who have found their partner and, and felt good about getting married, and I, I watch their lives, and they're, they still have faith. You know, they pray together, they worship together, and they like commune with their families. And 
I think it really limits us as humans when we think that someone else isn't able to connect with God because of a choice they've made. I think that's such a great point, Charlie, and I don't think I could have said it better. For me, in my life, when I've been through really hard times, the passage that inspires me and grounds me is Second Nephi 4. In it, Nephi talks about Christ as his rock, but he says, I know in whom I have trusted. I know in whom I have trusted. And so often as we're navigating this, we want to know where we're going and we want to know from A to Z, what do all those steps look like? And we just don't know. None of us knows how life is going to play out for us. But if we know in whom we trust, it will all be okay in the end. And there's prophetic affirmation of that. President Hinckley would say, it's all going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Like we just need to hang on to each other and do our best. And so if we honor that covenant and hang on to each other the best we can and trust in the Savior's healing and in his grace and his redemption, we know the atonement is infinite and we know God loves all of us more than we can ever wrap our brains around. Yeah. So it's all going to work out. We just need to hang on to each other. What would you say to a loved one who has a, a gay family member who has chosen to step away from the church and is feeling hurt and sad by that decision? I would say God knows right where that person is. And God is not giving up on them. And Christ is not giving up on them. And this might very well be part of their journey and part of their learning. So who are we to prescribe what is best for God's child in the long run, in the eternal long run of things? And, you know, there are lots of things we can do. We can pray for them and we can be there for them and we can help them know they're never alone. But we need to have the assurance that God knows exactly what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And, and all will be well if we trust and we have faith we find tremendous peace and hope in that message. Yeah. I, I see you saying again and again that, that we just need to, to trust in God, trust in his plan for his children, and that should take away some of the worry and some of the pain. I'm going to extend that message to LGBTQ people who are worried about their future and where they're going to end up. It's a very ambiguous space. There's so mm-hmm. much gray area, and there's a lot of, like, I find myself all the time with unanswered questions and with lack of a life path or any type of framework or structure and that's something that I've really had to fall back on a lot is just daily bread trust God and that as I check in and say God who am I and where should I be that I'll be led to the right place and sometimes it looks nothing like what I expected and it's funny because I mean where I am now compared to where I thought I would be like my 20 year old self would like curl up and freak out if, <laughs> if he knew that current me was doing a podcast about being gay. Right. Cause, cause I just didn't think that was okay. I, I didn't have any way to comprehend that, but this is where I feel like God has led me and I'm, I'm happy and I'm in a beautiful space and I have to give myself that same leeway going forward that as I trust God and surround myself with good people and do the best to reach out and not lie about who I am, that I will continue going to foreign, unforeseen places that are exactly where I need to be. And God will use you. God will find ways for you. And Charlie, as you're talking, I'm just sort of giggling to myself because, I mean, I want to say amen, but it's also that as an LDS woman, that's been my experience too. Like if my 20-year-old self knew where my 50-year-old self had been, (laughs) I think I would have been like, you got to be kidding me. Married with four kids, so stereotypical, but that was not at all the vision I had for myself Mm -hmm. at all. And yet I have trusted God at all of those junctures. And 
when my heart is open, he's found a way to use me and the gifts I have. And I trust that same lesson applies to anyone on this planet. And it, it, sort of the fact that you're now awakened to that will help you in that journey so much because you will know it will become a partnership with God. Like your whole journey will be a partnership with God and you will know I was right where he needed me to be and he knew right where I was all along. I've just been thinking about people who have been good allies to me in my life. Well, I appreciate the people who have like stood up and corrected misconceptions and kind of been defenders of, of me publicly. I, I really appreciate that. But as I've been thinking about the people who have been the best allies for me, I remember when I was dating this guy and my friends wanted to hear about what was going on. They wanted to be involved in, in that part of my life. And one of my friends wanted to meet him and we, and we met and hung out. And I just remember that being like such a meaningful thing that they were just willing to be with me uh, wherever my journey was taking me. And that relationship didn't end up being something that, that lasted. But having those people with me in that part of my journey, just trying to understand me and what was going on just really meant the world for me. And all those people are, are still uh, very much active parts of my life. Mm-hmm. So maybe the best allyship is in those quiet one-on-one personal moments, mm-hmm. not necessarily those public forums, right? Yeah. Sometimes the best allies are the people that make me feel like I do fit in and that there's not some sort of like rough edge on me or spike in whatever social setting I'm in. Like my family and my friends where, where me being gay is just a part of me and it's not some sort of blinking light on me. I just feel normal and accepted. And that's been a really beautiful experience for me. Well, Ali, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure to have you on and I've admired you from afar for a long time. So it's great. I'm grateful to have some more time to chat and hang out. Well, likewise, Ben Shalati. <laughs> I'm a fangirl, both of you. So it's an honor to be here and, and just an honor to be part of this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. If you have enjoyed this or other episodes, please consider leaving us a podcast review. And as always, please remember that we do not represent the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Brigham Young University. We are not trying to be prescriptive or tell anyone what to think or what to do. You heard three perspectives and there are many, many more. We encourage you to listen to other voices and hear a wide variety of experiences. If you would like to submit a question or share a comment about today's episode, you can email us at questionsfromthecloset at gmail.com. Until next time.